Dr. Morris Nichols, Living Time and the Integration of the Life. We are still in passing time and time itself. This first sentence we will pick up here is interesting to me. I'll read the sentence and then I'll tell you what popped into my head. Let us try to conceive further how time can be a dimension. It's like we haven't already tried to conceive enough how time can be a dimension. I mean, we've been going through this for weeks. And I know how people get impatient. And then I also know there's that impatience, but there's also the other, I've got this. I know this. Time is a dimension. I got it. Because they get it intellectually. They hear the words and they get it intellectually. But I have been reading his stuff, studying his stuff, since 1971, consistently, year after year after year after year. And I still, when I say, let us try to conceive further how time can be a dimension, I think, okay, let's try. Because it just doesn't stick. It's more than just conceiving of it. You've got to understand it. Something has to happen. And the only way for that to happen is for you to raise your level of being, for you to have a different consciousness than the ordinary consciousness with which we face life. And life, for us, is this stream of events that appears to be happening in time. And it's very hard to get out of that. It's like flypaper. Once you're in it, you're stuck in it. Or it's like a spider's web. Very few of the victims ever get out of a spider's web. Very few flies ever get out of flypaper once they get in it. The more they struggle, the worse it gets. And this is the same thing, except that we have something that flies and other prey don't have, and that is imagination. We can imagine that we've got it. We can imagine we understand. We can imagine we're enlightened. We can imagine all this stuff. And once we do, the door is shut. It is absolutely shut. There is no more light coming in because we now have it. And once you have it, you stop looking for it, whatever it is. So for that tee up, I'm now going to take a swing at this little white ball and see if we can't try to conceive further how time can be a dimension. Let's suppose that we're traveling along this dimension as along a road. We travel from yesterday into today and from today into tomorrow along a distance which appears to us not to exist. Okay, so that's hard for us. It appears to us not to exist, but we'll try anyway. We are separated from yesterday by this distance, which is a time distance. Now, we realize that distance in space does not mean non-existence. So because the sun is so far away from us in space, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. London is distant from Paris by a space interval of so many miles. Along this distance, land, sea, towns, and people are extended. And if we traveled along this distance, we would see them. So just because we can't see them does not mean they do not exist. Right now, on the exact opposite spot of the planet that we are now, there are people living their lives, having children, dying, eating, sleeping, doing all the things that people do. But we can't see them. Although we cannot see them now, we believe that they exist. We believe that the known dimensions contain their existence. But we have not this belief of distance in time. We believe that this distance is synonymous with annihilation, non-existence. We cannot travel along this distance as we please. Today I am in my room and yesterday I was in the same room. But an interval of time separates me from yesterday. I am in the same room 
in a different part of time. See, this is difficult to wrap your mind around, but you've got to make the effort. Well, you don't have to, obviously, but if you want to understand this, it's a good idea to make the effort. Just strain yourself a little bit. Exercise your brain a little bit. I cannot again be in the same part of time, and to my natural thought, that part of time called yesterday has not only disappeared, but has vanished into some dustbin, into nothingness. If I reflect upon yesterday, upon that part of time to which I now stand in a new relationship, and of which I think was, I will reflect upon it as if it were no longer existing. Was Lori here when you got here? No. Okay, but you know she lives here. So she was here at some point today, because I got an email from her this morning. Well, I got a couple of emails from her this morning, and she was at home, listening to the thunder and watching the lightning and enjoying the sprinkle of rain. It was so remarkable that she had to email me about it. I go, okay, good enough, fine by me. But you see, that's it. An event like that snaps us out of our ordinary consciousness. And she just sat down and looked at it and listened to it and enjoyed it. Rex, you did the same thing, didn't you? When you live in almost a desert, when it rains, it's a remarkable thing. And especially since the rainy season doesn't start until October 15th, which really means around January 15th, where it actually works out. But to have rain in August is really remarkable. It's odd. So it stops people. People stop and look. And plus, then you add the lightning and the thunder, which we rarely ever have. And of course, the power outages, which we have, if ever there's anything like that. So you know that she lives here, so you know she was here today. But she's not here now. But what if she was here now in a different time? In other words, not a different time, but in time. In time, like in another room. So what if Lori was upstairs right now and you didn't know it? That's just the same thing as Lori being in another room in time and you don't know it, but still right here in this house. So just think about that a little bit. It's difficult, I admit, because our minds just kind of tilt. They just kind of freeze up a little bit and we think, no, that can't be. And why do we think that can't be? Because of the ramifications of that. Because of the ramifications of you existing in all these different times at the same time. But you don't have a problem knowing that you've existed all your life and you have changed and you're not a static being. You're still changing all through time and that is still going on and will continue to go on because it is. Now, perhaps with relief and in any case with the certain feeling that my life is no longer there but only here in today, I will reflect upon it as if it were no longer existing. If I reflect upon yesterday, upon the part of time to which I now stand in a new relationship, and of which I think was, I will reflect upon it as if it were no longer existing, perhaps with relief. And in any case, with the certain feeling that my life is no longer there, but only here in today. Because we're only conscious of this moment, our life can only be here in this moment today. But what this whole thing is about is there are people who have touched a higher state of consciousness where time was altered. Time is altered in a higher state of consciousness. At this state of consciousness that we all share in general about time, we're all in agreement that there's only now. That the past no longer exists and the future hasn't come yet. All that was said and done yesterday, I will no longer take seriously, save insofar as my interest may be affected today, because I will give no quality of is to yesterday. We can't do it. We keep doing was. Yesterday was, not yesterday is. But for a little exercise, try saying, as often as you can remember, yesterday is, tomorrow is. 
not will be or was. Get out of the tenses, the time tense, and just practice. Yesterday is. It can affect you. So it can affect you. So try it. Just try it whenever you think about it during the day. Yesterday is. Yet to all that exist in the space of three dimensions, however distant from me, I will be quite willing to grant the quality of is, because I know that my body can be translated in space to any part of the world. So it is. We can get on a plane and fly to Europe or Asia or wherever, and we will be there, and we know it is there. So we don't have a problem with that. With the distance, the space, we don't have a problem with. But the time, it's just like... It's like a bag of noodles. It's like trying to sort it all out. Yet to all that exist in the space of three dimensions, however distant from me, I'll be quite willing to grant the quality of is, because I know that my body can be translated in space to any part of the world. My mind can go back in time, yet if it does so, I call it memory, to which I give the quality of was. The existence of the past and the restoration of the past do not seem possible. In consequence, all my thoughts about the past are colored by the unreality of was. For us, was is the reality. But to a different state of consciousness, was is an unreality. By a certain impatience or by a certain sentimentality. So we look at the unreality of the past by a certain impatience, by the unreality, or by a certain sentimentality. So we look back and we're impatient about the past because we wish we'd done something differently. Or we are sentimental about it. We think, oh, remember when so-and-so was alive? Wasn't that wonderful? And like that. Now, if I were suddenly translated into yesterday with exactly the same thoughts, feeling, and memory which belong to it, I would have no idea that anything unusual had happened. So let's say that you were, in the blink of an eye, you were traveled in time and you were back yesterday. But you had the exact same thoughts. Everything was exactly the same. You wouldn't know a thing. As a matter of fact, you could be now. Yes, you so would. Have you ever read uh, Kurt Vonnegut, Slaughterhouse-Five? No? You should pick that up. That'll bend your brain. <laughs> I don't know whether he was a student of this or not, but I read that back in the early 70s as well, like 71, back in when I found this stuff. And it's funny, the synchronicity of it came along about the same time for me. And it's about this guy who just travels in time. Boom, 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 boom. Accidentally. He doesn't really have any control over it. He just, boom, he's just somewhere else. And he goes back and forth and just willy-nilly. Like there's no... Anyway, read the book. Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. If you don't like it, you can sue me. Of course, you won't get anything because I don't have anything, but you'll have the satisfaction of knowing that you were right and I was wrong. And what could be more important than that? So, I'd have no idea that anything unusual happened. I would be in another part of time at another world point and all the experiences belonging to it. So, you have now all the experiences belonging to this world point. And yesterday was a world point when you were there and you had all the experiences belonging to it. So, if you were at that world point yesterday or tomorrow, and had all the experiences that belonged to it, you wouldn't know anything about now. Because now would be that world point, not this world point. <sighs> okay, we're going to do this. <laughs> I'd be living my life at that part of time, the same life again, as we say. Perhaps we have no right to say again once we realize the existence of the fourth dimension. So that's another thing. Maybe we have no right to say again. If you, right now, suddenly translated to yesterday... You couldn't say again because there would be no future in the present state of consciousness, so you would not know. So there you have it. If we could see into time, 
if we could see into this invisible distance, we would see other parts of time and all that was happening in those parts of time. The prophets of old were granted this power of vision. They saw time. They saw the world in time. They saw events lying far ahead. Think about Jeremiah telling the people that they were all going to be taken into captivity to Babylon, told them what was going to happen to the kings, what was going to happen to everybody, and that in 70 years, a king would rise up and send, and they would come back. And sure enough, it happened. And one of the prophets, I can't remember which one it was, actually mentioned the king by name. You know, when you think about that, it's really mind-boggling. You know, that all that time later, that king who never even existed when the prophecy, with the prophecy, and here's this quaint Jewish prophecy that the Medes and the Persians knew nothing about and cared nothing about. They were the rulers of the world then. They didn't care about a tribe of Jews and their prophets. But when it was announced that the prophet had written about this Cyrus, the king, and that what he would do, and he was like, he mentioned me by name? Yes, here it is. Like, whoa. Anyway, it's an interesting concept, and it's interesting to think about. And I throw these little tidbits out so that you have something to, little anchor points. This is like climbing a mountain, a very difficult mountain. And if you don't have those little anchor points to pull yourself up, you're not going to make very good progress. They had two sights, not only that sight which perceives a three-dimensional world, but another which perceived the fourth dimension. And it's interesting that prophets used to be called, the men of God were called seers, seers, S-E-E-R-S, seers. So you remember when Saul, before he was king, was out looking for his father's lost donkey, they finally came to Ramah, I think it was, or wherever Saul was, and his, the guy who was with him, the servant who was with him, said, there's a seer here. We should go consult him about the donkey. He said, well, we don't have anything to give him. He said, well, I've got a bit of silver, you know, a bit of a silver coin. We can give him that. And so <laughs> when Saul gets there, they ask where he is, always up at the feast, going up there. He's waiting for you. And they're like, what? He's a seer. He's waiting for you. He knew you were coming. And so he gets up there and he says, oh, bring out the piece of meat that I had prepared for him. So hours before, he'd had it all prepared. Everything was all prepared. That's what he's saying here. He's saying that they had the second sight. They could see the fourth dimension. For if time is a dimension that we touch only at a point, it gets a higher space in which all world points exist. Now, this is a world point. This is a world point. This is a world point like points on a map. Okay, so you're down here in the valley and you have all these points on a map and you can't see them all together, but you get up into the mountains and you look down and you can see all those points together. That's a step in the right direction. You can see more world points together. It means that just as things separated by a spatial interval still exist, so also do events or states of the world and oneself, which are separated by a time interval or by distance in time. I think it's easier if you think of it as distance in time rather than a time interval, but a distance in time. So because you can, you might be able to make the transition from the spatial understanding which is what he's trying to do, help us to make this transition. We know that even though your father is a distance away from you and your father is further away from you, and your father is even further away from you because, yeah, Connie and Rex, their fathers are in a time distance further. So how do you work that out? Or farther, I should say. Actually, I don't know what I should say. Applied to oneself, it means that the life exists in time. So apply it to yourself. The life exists in time. 
In Ecclesiastes, which, as regards the early chapters, is a book about time, the writer sees all that happens coming out of the dimension of time. He says, To all things, time, and to every event under the sun, season. Chapter 3, verse 1. Season brings war and peace, birth and death, finding and losing. He must mean that the quality of time is different from day to day. Events lie in time, and as we reach them, they determine the issue of things like magnetic fields. During the Vietnam War, it was a time of war. It was a time of huge unrest. It was a time of social change. It was a shifting time. It was a time not of peace, but of war. Yet, people were crying for peace, because that's what people do when there are wars. So when there are wars, people are crying for peace. When there's peace, people are generally crying for wars because they don't really appreciate the peace and they're finding something upsetting about what someone else is doing and they want to do something about it because we're insane on this planet. He must mean the quality of time is different from day to day. Events lie in time. As we reach them, they determine the issue of things. So they determine the events. They determine how things are going to go. We don't like this because it smacks of predestination and we like to think we have ultimate choice. But you know you don't have ultimate choice. You know this, if you'll think about it at all, you know that so many of the decisions that you made 10 years ago have limited what you can decide today. And that's that. You decided not to go to further your education or you decided to further your education. You decided to study this or decided not to study this, to study that. And that locked you in. And that's that. In a sense, once you set a course, the things that are going to come up on that course are going to come up on that course. How you deal with them is where you have some choice, where you have something to say about it. Not what they'll be so much, because you already determined what they would be, because life is consciousness. Your consciousness attracts your life. The kind of consciousness you have determines what kind of events you attract or you suck out of time. According to the event and season, so will things tend to fall out. Now, we don't see life from this standpoint. We think man creates events. And we do. We think that man creates events. But let's take a couple of events. Let's take the assassination of two well-known presidents, Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy, a hundred years apart. And their secretaries had the same last name. And their vice presidents, the same last name. And they both had premonitions that they were going to be assassinated. They both had seen it in dreams. You can say whatever you want about it. It doesn't really matter to me. But I just want you to think about it. It's interesting. We don't see life from this standpoint. We think man creates events. But did John Wilkes Booth really, really create the event? Or was he just a cog in the wheel, part of the machine? Did Lee Harvey Oswald or whomever, did he create the event? Or was he just part of the movement of a big clock? You ever take a watch apart? I mean, the old watches, like the one I wear, that has little gears and cogs and wheels and springs inside of it. Well, if you've ever looked inside of one of them, it is really complex. And you take one of those parts out and it doesn't work right. That's how it is with us and time. But we don't see that. We don't see life from this standpoint. We think that man creates events. It means that there are tendencies in things that vary from time to time and that therefore something in the nature of a law of synchronicity is probable. That is, similar things tend to happen together. Rex said to me the other day, see, Robin Williams died, Lauren Bacall died, and he said, well, who's next? Because it comes in threes. Does it come in threes? Well, yeah, there was another actor who died a few days later. And so it's just 
synchronicity. And you either get it or you don't. If you don't, then clearly you don't want to, because this is something you have to want to entertain. This is something you have to open your mind to. You cannot close your mind and get this, any more than you can close a door to let somebody in. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. Or close a window to let the air in. Or close the shades to let the sun in. Those things make it impossible for you to get it. So you've got to want to get it, and you've got to open your mind a little bit. Ecclesiastes draws a picture of man as under the domination of time. And for him, time is not a nothingness, a void, but a structure of events of opposite character through which man is passing. What are the opposite carriers? Time to gather stones, trying to throw away, time to war, time for peace, time to love, time to hate. So they're opposites, right? It is a structure of events of opposite character through which man is passing. In the first three chapters, he speaks of time, of the recurrence of things, and in an obscure passage refers to eternity in man's heart. He says, it's all vanity, it's all wearisome, everything that's ever happened is happening again. There's nothing new under the sun. So he's talking about recurrence. But we can find clear indications of time being regarded as a dimension. In early Hebrew thought, the extension of the world in time was certainly recognized. The world was not confined to a space of three dimensions in the passing moment. The American scholar Taylor Lewis, who lived in the last century, was never tired of pointing out that we completely misunderstand many passages in Scripture because we have lost sight of the ancient conceptions of time. According to the Hebrew conception, the future world does not come to us and acquire reality by being present, but we are going into it. It's there. We're the ones who are going into it. The future has as real an existence as that through which we have passed. In the prophetic vision, events are there, even now, events which require the journey of ages before one can reach them. To the seer, long since past and gone, Undoubtedly, the time ideas found in the scriptures are quite different from our natural conceptions. These guys saw all this stuff. Think about Nostradamus. He saw all this stuff in our future, in his future and in our future, as if his future and our future were different. They aren't. It's the same, because there's only one future. Now, the possibilities for each person in those futures are not unlimited, but they're varied. Because you'll have choices that you can make between the opposites. You have a choice to love or hate. You have a choice to throw stones or gather stones. You have a choice to go to war or to go to peace. So you'll have those choices. How you determine what will happen in your future is what kinds of choices you make now. Because if you get in the habit of choosing now wisely, it'll be easier to choose wisely then. Then will be now. Events which require the journey of ages before one can reach them are to the seer, long since past and gone. So the, the seer is long since past and gone, but he saw all the events, and we move into them. Undoubtedly, the time ideas found in the scriptures are quite different from our natural conceptions. Some illustrative phrases and expressions in the literature of scripture are as follows. In the New Testament, we find it said that God created the ages. This is a very strange thought. God created the ages. It doesn't mean 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, your ages. He means God created the ages. Do we grasp what it means? An age is a period of time. This, at least, is one of the meanings of the Greek word eon. We probably imagine that if God created the worlds, he created globes in space at a particular moment of time long ago. In the Esdras apocalypse, the phrase occurs, it's a Latin phrase, and I don't know what it is, but future time is prepared. In another passage from the same source, the creation of the world in all parts of time is indicated. 
for there was a time in the eternal ages when I prepared for those who now exist. In the Slavonic Enoch, it is said that all humanity, all people who exist one after the other in succession in time according to our way of seeing things, are already created. Every soul was created eternally before the foundation of the world. The souls are sown into the time world from beginning to end, for it was held that to the divine mind all is at once, together, not successive. From this angle of vision, we catch sight of the strange view that the world is developing, or otherwise, in all its time length from beginning to end. It's regarded as existing at every point. That would mean that history is alive. Well, history is alive for me, because I, you know how I love history. I'm always sending you, telling you about history books, or sending you history books, or reading biographies of people in history. Because for me, history is alive, always living and changing. It would mean that an age is a living thing. Blake saw the world in this way, building or destroying itself at all points of time, in 6,000-year extensions. The world, he said, is not a globe. The ratio of our senses makes it appear so. The universe is not a number of points separated by immense distances. Enoch sees in his vision everything from beginning to end. He sees also where time, as we experience it, is no longer. Here the times perish, and there is no year, month, or day, nor hour, nor shall they be reckoned. So you won't even be able to tell month, day, hour, time. All those emotions which belong to passing time and perhaps are solely due to the illusion of present-momented existence vanish. We're told that there is no anxiety, sorrow, or violence. It's extremely difficult to grasp this extraordinary idea about time. So don't worry about it if you're not getting it. It takes a long, long, you know the word, T-I-M-E. But I'm not going to say that because I just can't bring myself to it. We cannot imagine existence in another part of time, in all parts of time. It does not seem possible to believe that what lies for us hundreds of years in the past may lie for some other beings hundreds of years in their future. Such a view means that our was, is, and will be are relative to wherever you are in time at that moment. There is no absolute past or future. To God, there is no time. All things are to Him one consentaneous whole. That was Mikanda, 13th century. All is present. We are living in this vast present at one point of it. Let's say you go out to the desert. If you've gone out to the desert recently, you look out there and you go, whoa. It just sucks your thoughts right out of your head to look at it. And you're just this little pinpoint out there in this vast desert. Now think of time as that vast desert. And where you are is now. But you can't see all the other people who are there because you can't see into time. You're time blind. I don't think he ever says that in here, but time blind is a great idea when you think about it. We are time blind, like we're second force blind. We're time blind. We're not really living in the world of three dimensions, but in a part of living history. In one of the Upanishads, the throne of Brahma is depicted as being surrounded by the days, months, seasons, years, and ages, and the indestructible wheel of time which governs all creatures. Sebastian Frank, 16th century, says that the true creation of all human beings is timeless. Since God is timeless, outside time, he creates all things timelessly. He surveys our whole life at present. Do you remember your son when you brought him home from the hospital? Remember the last time you saw him? Can you remember a lot of things that happened in between? So you can survey his whole life at present, because it's not that long. And if he was two years old, then it would be much easier. You could survey his whole life at present. In that sense, only for God, it would all be happening right now. So when God looks at David, 
he sees all of his ancestors and all of his progeny, which is why he could say that the Messiah would be the offspring of David. You think about all this, it's like, oh man, it makes sense if you're well-versed in Scripture. If you're not, it's going to be very difficult. Since God is timeless outside time, he creates all things timelessly. This writer says that we cannot understand the timeless order with our natural reason, but refers to another principle in us, standing above the reason, which he calls the anti-human. It is the anti-human when you think about it, isn't it? We're going to come to a close here. It's anti-human in the sense that it goes clean against our ordinary understanding and can comprehend the timeless order. We can connect this with a higher level of consciousness. All these views point in the same direction to another existence of things in higher space. So everything that we've talked about, all these people down through the ages who have said this, who have somehow gotten into this realm, it all points to something higher, some higher space. Higher space is timeless. Our ordinary consciousness touches a minute portion of total reality in higher space, just like your eyes only pick up a minute sliver of the spectrum of light that's flying through space. And you're just seeing this little sliver. And everything on either side of that you're completely blind to, unless you have special machines like an x-ray machine, or they have oscilloscopes, they have scopes and things that can show that there is something there. They can't see it themselves, but they can show that it's there by the vibrations. It's interesting, anyway. So our ordinary consciousness touches a minute portion of total reality in higher space, like a revolving mirror that reflects only one part of the surrounding landscape and sets it into apparent motion. Hey, that's like my carousel, the merry-go-round. The ratio of our senses sets time into movement, and it becomes passing time. Higher space becomes time. Such is the view that confronts us. When he says, such is the view that confronts us, It's only confronted if you wish to confront it. If you don't wish to get this, you don't have to. This is not compulsory. You could make it to the grave without ever thinking about this again. I suggest you don't, but then that's me. You do what, of course, you want to do, whichever that is going to be. And my job is to expose you to ideas, thoughts, theories, concepts, philosophies, that can expand your consciousness to include higher states of consciousness, higher spaces, as it were. You signed up for this, although I doubt any of you knew it when you signed up. It was nearly 30 years ago for you. And when you think about that, you're still here. Who does that? Who stays in a group for 30 years? I mean, really, when you think about that, that's pretty incredible. What can I say? You'll do what you do, and I'll do what I do. And we'll pick up next week with whatever's next. More time. Truth is everything.